Welcome to day 185 of Shaped by the Word, season two, the drama of Scripture. And we come to one of the major uh, dramas in Scripture, the showdown between um, God and the prophets of Baal through uh, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel and, of course, the prophet Elijah. Uh, Elijah will not only be a major you know, turning point in the Old Testament story, he will be a key part of the New Testament story. Uh, whenever John the Baptist comes, he comes in the spirit of of Elijah to prepare the way, you know, for the Lord. And of course, when the Lord is you know, transfigured on on the mount, uh, there is a figure of Moses and Elijah. And of course, Moses is representative of Torah or, or of law, and Elijah is the quintessential prophet of God. Uh, not uh, we have far more teaching from Isaiah and you know Jeremiah in Ezekiel, but you have the fiery judgment, you know, coming through uh, Elijah that becomes a quintessential characterization of an Old Testament prophet, you know, that we see. So we introduce ourselves uh, to, uh, you know, to Ahab and the person of Elijah and the showdown that will openly take place uh, between the two of them. Um, but before we turn to Scripture, by the way, I'm Paul Kemp here with Cindy Kemp, David Keefe, and Matt Kresge. We always realize that in Scripture we have a gift from God in which He is revealing His heart and character to us and also uh, revealing our heart and character to us as well so that we would turn from Him, you know, turn from uh, the things of this world, turn to Him and be shaped by Him. And of course, that's the heart of our podcast that we hope we'd be shaped by the goodness of God's heart and character as revealed to us in the Word. So, Cindy, before we read, do you mind uh, lifting us up in prayer? No, I don't mind. Father, thank you for this time, and we do thank you for your word, and like Paul has said, thank you, Father, that you have loved us enough to reveal yourself to us through your word, and may this time in your word um, be a time that causes us to be encouraged, Father, or um, convicted of sin, or somehow comforted, Father, but thank you that you move in all that through your word to our hearts, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. We're going to catch a little piece uh, of this history in chapter 16, beginning of verse 29 through verse 33, and then we'll skip to uh, chapter 17. Uh, 16 29, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before them. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbael, king of the Sidonians. And he began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal uh, he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, and he did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirath Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kirath Ravine, east of Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the Lord 
uh, then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little uh, water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As he was going to get it, he called, and, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. But surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So he went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him up to an upper room where he was staying, and he laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So we're entered uh, to two key players, enter the scene, two key players in the drama. Ahab, who uh, has done worse than all of the kings of Israel, and of course it's been a downward spiral, and this will not be the end of the spiral. We will have a, a, you know, people after him, you know, Manasseh probably being the height uh, of the evil of the kings of, of, of Israel, uh, as you look you know, through, you know, through all, of, all, all of this. But to this time, he's going further and further and further. And so as you see the downward spiral of sin and enter, you know, this prophet Elijah, who will be one of the, you know, more powerful prophets you'll see in him, uh, you know, the miraculous power that you'll not see in the, you know, the writing prophets. Uh, and you'll see in him, you know, the sense of judgment that will be carried on, you know, by the writing, you know, by the writing prophets. Ironically, whenever, you know, um, John comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. He, he doesn't bring miracles with him, but the spirit and the power is captured in, in God's word. And of course, you hear that theme again and again, and that's the word of the Lord coming true for Elijah and through Elijah. You know, in yesterday's podcast, we saw that phrase um, talking about Jeroboam that he did more evil than all who lived before him. And now in this passage, when Ahab comes on the scene, yeah, it says he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than all those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam. I mean, how far? You know, if the Lord's willing to look at Jeroboam and say he's done more evil than all you know, that lived before him, and now whatever it was that he was doing is trivial compared to what's ha happening now. 
What a great Farius. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it, it, he, he considered a trivial thing to do what the worst <laughs> king in the history of Israel did. He said, that's a big uh, deal. What, what's this? Check it out. And, uh, you think you're evil. What's, what's this? Yeah. And, of course, you, you, you do see, you know, that he brings in, you know, through his, his wife Jezebel, uh, you know, not just on the fringes, you know, the worship, uh, you know, of, of, of Baal, uh, so there's no pretense that these are the gods, you know, the golden calves is what Jeroboam did uh, with a pretense. These are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. There's no connection whatsoever. These are the gods, uh, you know, that uh, you know he's bringing in, that God judged the nations before you. And, and of course, they set up a temple and they set up the open worship, you know, of, of Baal. God love just kind of the interesting, I mean... You know, we know just being introduced to Elijah, we, we see God just taking such great care of him. And, you know, Elijah obviously just contrasting right there off of King Ahab, who has nothing to do with the Lord. And he's saying, no, I, I'm as the Lord, the God of Israel lives whom I serve. And so just kind of like a, a shining light out of just all the darkness we've seen. We see this one guy showing up who does serve the Lord. And, and obviously the Lord's faithful to take care of him, even giving them, you know, meat and everything from the ravens, which is just wild. And, uh, you wonder where in the world did the yeah. ravens get that meat? Or where did that meat, buddy? 165 internal. When children yeah. hear the story, they always pick up on the ravens. They love that part. No, the ravens are absolutely <laughs> absolutely wonderful. Some <laughs> some rich guy's house where he left his meat out cooling, and <laughs> the ravens picked it up and said, "Here you go, Elijah." <laughs> so God's provision is, you know, uh, you know, God's provision is seen here, and obviously you also have when he goes to Zarephath, which is, you know, in. Sidonia, or you know, uh, in Sidon rather, uh, which is you know outside the borders of Israel, but you also see you know provision there that's reminiscent of what God provided for the children, you know, the uh, in in manna. Mm -hmm. uh, so you see a flower, you know, that doesn't, you know, that never ends, and you see this, you know, kind of small, you know, little portion that God multiplies over and over again, and so you're reminded of God's provision for His mm -hmm. people. And you're also reminded of his judgment on his people if he as he withholds his bounty, mm -hmm. uh, you know, through neither you know rain nor dew, mm -hmm. you know, falling you know falling on the land. And while you're talking about provision, the thing that just keeps coming back to my mind is the most humble of provision was through a widowed woman, you know, and I can't even imagine how here she is, you know, ready to just lay down and die, but they they. You know, she responds to him and in, in really in trust, you know, when he asks her to bake the bread, make a small loaf for him and one for herself. And, yeah. and, and, and not, she, not of the people of Israel, mm -hmm. you know, not someone who, who knows God, someone who's having a hard time. Mm -hmm. and, and you see just the wonderful little touch here, of course, when you come into the Gospel of Luke, you'll have Jesus coming to the city of Nain who also embraces a widow and her sorrow and the loss of her son. And so there's there, those reflection, you know, that you see there and also... You know, brings you know the son of life, but you have this woman, you know, saying, "Man of God, why have you come to me to, you know, to reveal my sin and bring this disaster on me?" And, and of course, that is the opposite of the reason that God comes to us is, is, is He does yeah, obviously to reveal our sin in order that we can repent of our sin, be cleansed of our sin, and and know His goodness and receive the gift of life. And so you you do see those images, you know, be, you know, very powerful. You know, I've not come to kill, to steal, and destroy, but that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So what a wonderful gift of God's common grace and a foreshadowing of, 
the heart of Christ, and not only a foreshadowing of the heart of Christ, but what Christ would ultimately do in rising uh, from the dead. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for your grace and for your goodness. Thank you uh, that you are, as um, uh, you know, Paul said, one who calls things that are not as though they were and, and gives life to those who are dead. And we thank you, Father, for the gift of life for you know, this young man and the grace that you showed to this woman who uh, had no resources of her own, was not even one who knew you or nor faithfully worshipped you. We thank you for how your grace reaches unexpected places and brings unexpected results. And Father, may we deeply be grateful for who you are and, and recognize your grace in our life, not the least of the which is the grace that gave us life when we were dead. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.